0: All right. Hello and welcome to Legal Management Talk, the official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Valerie Danner. Today, you'll be hearing from someone who is very familiar to legal management readers, Michelle Silverthorne. She's the founder and chief executive officer of Inclusion Nation and just released her first book, Authentic Diversity, How to Change the Workplace for Good, which is officially a bestseller. Welcome, Michelle, and congrats. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much,
1: Valerie. It's so nice to be here with um, my legal management family. Um, you know, I spoke at the keynote last year for ALA. I spoke again at an ALA event this year, so it's always great to come back.
0: Well, it's great to have you back. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure.
1: So I am the founder and CEO of Inclusion Nation, just like Valerie said. I work a great deal with, I'm a, I'm a practicing law, I'm a practicing lawyer. I'm still a lawyer. People always call me former lawyer in my introductions, but I'm still a lawyer. I practiced for a number of years and then I worked for the Illinois Supreme Court for several years after that. And then a few years back, I decided I was going to launch my own diversity consulting firm, Inclusion Nation, and that is what I have done. And if you've ever heard me talk, you've heard me tell the stories about why I started this and why I believe in a movement for really talking about when it comes to equity and inclusion and belonging. And especially for me, who is a black woman in this space, when I talk about race, I think we have to be honest and forthright about all of those issues if we are really going to move forward in the workplace. And what I had not been seeing in the past was that really the kind of not just honesty about, okay, well, let me talk about the racial reasons that someone is not succeeding in the workplace, but also let's actually put into place strategies that work. Let's get people to buy into those strategies. Let's get them to commit to those strategies. Let's get them to measure their success. And then if it's not working, we try something different and it is, then we know that this is why it works. And so I tell people all the time, I want this to be a habit. I want you to wake up every morning and think, how am I going to create an inclusive space and what actions am I going to do to, to get there? And that's the work I do. And I work with lots of law firms. I work with lots of private clients, lots of companies, nonprofits, oh, lots of schools and universities across the board to really working at creating that space of equity and inclusion.
0: Well, to say it's been quite a year is quite the understatement. Um, but what was different about the murders of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd that really seemed to break through this time in terms of how white people address race in this country?
1: You know, it's, um, it's been an interesting year. I tell people the 10 weeks before COVID, if you were doing DEI work, um, your phone was not ringing. No one was calling you. People were canceling meetings. They were canceling events. Um, DEI professionals were getting laid off. They were getting furloughed, which is a nicer term, right? And then George Floyd happens. And you know, of course, now you know, after quick succession of all the other events that happened as well, and then the protests happened, and it's like corporate America took this huge U-turn. And they could not look away anymore, right? You had your, your Black employees inside your organizations demanding, we have been saying these things for years. And so initially, there was a focus on external. Like, what is it? Like, how, you know, who can we donate to? What are the social justice initiatives that we can do? Can we give employees a day off to grieve and to protest and to write and to volunteer? And then, as we got, you know, three or four weeks in, it really turned, I hope it turned for a lot of companies, but I know it did for my clients, internal. So it wasn't just that our Black employees are sharing about, you know, what it is like to be Black outside the workplace. Our Black employees are also sharing what it is like to be Black inside the workplace, which is precisely what I have been talking about for the past two and a half years, what is it like to be a Black employee? What are the differences that race brings to that picture? And so what I think has happened, I mean, what 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 I've seen happen in the past, you know, six or six, four, five, three months since this all, since it all began, was this new and renewed focus on We are not just going to say diversity broadly, and we're not just going to address it broadly, but we really are going to look at how we listen to the stories. And then once we listen to the stories of our colleagues and our coworkers, we are going to commit to change. And that is what I think has been the real difference. It's not that we're saying anything different than we've been saying for the past 10 years, right? We are saying the same things. A lot more of us are saying it because a lot more of us now have the cover and the ability to do so. And crucially, We have leaders who are listening and who have decided that they are going to commit to the change. There are many reasons why they have decided it. Some because it's the right thing to do, some because they have been pressured by their peers to do it, and some because they see the market benefits of saying you're an anti-racist organization, right? Whatever the reason is, they are committing to this work. And that is what I see as the difference.
0: So do you think this will actually bring about lasting change this time? You know, people have asked me that a lot. And what I usually say
1: is that let us be specific about what change you want, right? If you are saying within the world of America and a whole of 350, 400 million people, is everyone going to change and progress toward change? I have no idea because I can't tell what everyone is going to do if you want to talk about whether you think all of the thousands or hundreds of thousands of companies in this country are all going to commit to inclusion, I can't tell that either. But I can say that if you are working in an organization that is actually said that we are going to be anti-racist, we support Black Lives Matter, we are committed to equity and justice, then ask them, how are they committing to it? What are the actions they are putting into place? And then who is being held accountable when they meet or fail to meet those directives, right? What is the work that your organization, whether it's your school or your neighborhood or your community or your mayor's office or your workplace or your association, what are they doing? Because It is really easy right now to say that you are committed to equity. It's really easy right now to say that you're committed to this work. It's not going to be as easy or it's not going to be as simple to say, okay, I'm committed to this six months from now. So if we actually are going to say people should stay committed to this, then let's make sure they stay committed to this. And that is how I see the change is going to happen.
0: So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how has your business shifted in the last three to four months?
1: As, as you know, Valerie, I mean, I spend a lot of time talking about race, right? Before before this happened, that was the reason I did a lot of this work. I would talk about what it's like to be Black, what it's like to be a Black woman. I would talk about intersectionality. I would address all of those issues. And what's different about the last four months is that there's two big issues. I don't have to make the business case anymore, which is fantastic, right? Because I don't have to, because I don't like to make the making business case. I tell people, you're A, you're making the wrong business case, but also B, the case should be the moral equality of all of your employees. That should be the entire case for why you do this. And it's that moral equality of all your employees, seeing them as equal human beings who have the equal chance to succeed. That has been a big difference because you actually have organizations now who are like, yes, let us do that. Let us do that and not talk about people as widgets, not talk about them as business deals, right? Let's talk about them as people. And that I think has been good. Otherwise, I mean, I have done, gosh, I've been telling people this. I've probably done, 60 webinars in the past three months. I mean, I've been speaking every single day. I've been, it has been extraordinarily busy and I am just so grateful every day that there are organizations who are willing to do this work because it's not everybody, right? A lot of people are like, oh, it seems like everyone's doing it. It is absolutely not everyone. But as long as we have organizations willing to be loud enough and brave enough and courageous enough and actually do the work and not just say they're doing it, but to actually do it, that's what I think the change will come from.
0: So in your new book, you ask readers if they are ready to be uncomfortable. Can you explain um, what you mean by that?
1: You know, one of the one of the talks I've been giving a lot this summer is when I talk about race, when I talk about blackness and I talk about what it's like to be the only and what it's like to be perfect and all of the microaggressions that you face when you're both of those. Um, and then after I talk through that, I talk through systemic racism. I talk about what systemic racism looks like and feels like if you're a black person in America. And then I give them some words. And the words I give are privilege and ally and anti-racist. And then the very last word I say is discomfort because that is the last word I leave people with before we talk about how we are going to change your workplace. And you know, I, you know, there are great people who are there who are talking about social justice and systemic change outside. I am focused on the workplace and what can be changed in the workplace. But the reason the last word I feel with is uncomfortable is because this should not be comfortable this should be easy. We shouldn't be like, I tell him, you're like, no one has ever moved from a space of comfort. You're like lounging down on your couch. You're like, okay, I got your remote control. I'm good. You're not going to get up and go until you feel uncomfortable. So I understand if you would prefer to lean into the ability that you might have as a majority person in this country to never think about these issues. That is exactly what privilege is. You can choose to send your kids to majority white schools and live in majority white neighborhoods and work in a majority white workplace and never feel uncomfortable doing so. Or you can choose to lean into that discomfort. And learn about, you can listen to nice white parents. You can read all of the books that have come out that are so great and talking about what it really means to live in a country that has privileged whiteness. And if you are willing to do that, and if you are willing to listen, lean into that discomfort, great. Because let me tell you something, uncomfortable and discomfort, that is how it feels like to be a minority in a majority space every day. We have learned from that. We have understood how it works. We navigate with it, but does not mean that we don't feel like that. So if you would like to try to do that and try to do that work, think about your colleagues who have to do this every day.
0: That's really um, fantastic advice. I never really thought of that myself, actually. I've been learning a lot this summer as well, so I appreciate the candor. Um, What are some common mistakes or misconceptions you see companies making when addressing issues like diversity and inclusion?
1: Oh gosh, so many. I mean, I think my, my biggest one is that, and this is something I talk about in my book quite a lot, especially at the beginning, when I t- I title my section, um, this particular section, I am black, black, black. And the reason I do that is because a lot of the interventions and the strategies that I talk through in this book are generally applicable, right? They apply to all sorts of different situations, sorts of different, you know, identity groups. But what I want to point out, and I will say this again and again, is that we are very nonspecific often when it comes to diversity. We do interventions for women without recognizing that we do need to be specific. Are we talking about Latina women? Are we talking about transgender women? Are we talking about Asian women? Are we talking about Black women? What are the outcomes that are different? You know, There are 37 female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. That number is abysmal. But there are no Black ones, right? And so when we say things like women are making strides, well, what does that really mean? Does that only mean white women? When we say that we have women's groups meeting, we're talking about women's issues. Are you talking about issues that affect transgender women, LGBTQ plus women? Are you talking about healthcare access? Are you talking about you know couples benefits and same-sex marriage benefits? When we are talking about a certain group, please be sure that we are being intersectional about that group. And that way we can be intentional about the intervention. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I would like a lot more companies to do is to set some goals, right? set some targets. You know, people don't like the word targets because they're like, oh, those are quotas and quotas are bad. What's been really successful about my, the Mansfield rule that my friends at diversity lab have been doing is that it's giving you a target, right? I think it's 30%, right? 30% of your interview pool has to be, you know, has to be women or, or people of color. 30%. That is a target you can reach. And if you don't get there, right, it's not a matter of saying, oh, well, we failed. It's a matter of saying, here is where we fell short here is the progress we made. And then next year, we're going to take some additional steps to make more progress until we hit that number, until we hit that target. And so that way you keep people on board and they want to stay involved and they want to keep doing the work. So those are the two big things. we got to get more specific and then we got to get set targets so we can measure our progress toward them.
0: So it's been an incredibly difficult year for many reasons, but what about your recent experiences has given you hope?
1: Yeah, that's hard, right? Because, um, you know, I, it's, it's hard because you wake up every day and, you know, I've done this work, well, the, this particular summer, um, you know, I, I talked to people that I, the first person who called me was Courtney Carter at Jenner and the calls have not stopped since. And so they have been, I mean, we've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of calls this summer from people who just want to get started or they already starting and they want to keep moving or they are already moving and they don't know where to go. And so that's, Listening to them, hearing about them, that's been something. I wouldn't say gratifying, but it's been good to see that there is such a huge community out there of people who are committing to this work. And all of those DEI professionals, all of those HR leaders, all of those folks who are in law firms who have been speaking and saying and working, and all the people who have not yet been speaking and saying and working and who are picking up the books and who are reading the books and who are sharing the books and who are doing the work. That's what gives me hope. So I want to continue that, right? There will always be more books. There will always be more podcasts. Keep listening to it. Keep doing the work and then keep supporting the people who will do this work for a living because they need your support and they need your buy-in and they need you to make sure that you carry out the tasks they ask you to do.
0: Speaking of extra reading, would you like to tell our readers how they can get a copy of your book, Authentic Diversity?
1: I would love to tell the readers how they can get a copy of my book, Authentic Diversity. You can go to my website, Um, You'll see Authentic Diversity right there. Actually, on the front page, you'll see it there. You can click there. It'll take you. There's an Amazon link. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Barnes & Noble. You can buy it at my publisher, Routledge. You can literally buy it anywhere you want. Um Ebooks come a lot faster than print books. I have to tell you, the print book sales are all sold out and they, they'll come in like five or six days, but you can always get an ebook. I hope you buy it. I hope you buy it. I hope you read it. I hope you review it. I hope you share it with somebody. It's meant to be a handbook, right? These are the five old rules for diversity that we've been following and we need to stop. Here are the five new rules of equity. So keep it by your desk, keep it on your bookshelf. Keep reading it because that is the only way I'm going to get people to really understand what is the work that we need to do to really invest in change.
0: Well, and I can tell you that ALA headquarters has ordered a copy. Um, We've been um, doing some work in this area as well, Um, and it's on the suggested reading list for everybody, and I'm looking forward to reading it as well.
1: Oh, I'm so happy. Well, I'm glad you can read it. let me know what you think when you do. And as always, you know, I'm so happy to be here and be a part of the really great work that you all are doing over at ALA.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Michelle Silverthorne, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and talking with you.
1: Oh, thank you, Valerie. I am always happy to come back whenever you need.
0: Our listeners can also read an excerpt of Michelle's book in the October issue of Legal Management, which is available at legalmanagement.org on October 9th. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. As always, you can learn more at ALA at alanet.org. Until next time.